They're back on the Football Outside the Box podcast, where we discuss the past, the present, and the future of football. Starting off the weekend, Man United traveled to St. Mary's to take on Southampton. And they did scrape away with a 1-0 victory here. Bruno Fernandes finally hitting the back of the net. How do you feel about this result and this performance? And how do you think it carries through to the next round of fixtures? We're winning the league. All right, somebody give him a laugh. <laughs> um, no, all, all seriousness. Bruno Fernandez finally learned how to shoot. Two games in a row. Brighton, I think it was. And even against Brentford, I believe it was. He was skying those cutbacks. And this one was the most difficult of them all. Because the ball bounced a lot higher than the previous twice. And he somehow squeezed it in past Bazuna towards the bottom right-hand corner of the keeper. Performance-wise, I mean, we can just brush it off. It's It wasn't a classic by any means. But hey, all we need is points right now. And you can see why we're paying 100 million euros for Anthony. Elanga will start out on the right I mean, they rotated Sancho on the left as well, but he just cannot finish. Oh, he doesn't have that tight control that Anthony will have. Elanga is good, provides energy, provides speed and all that good stuff. But I think in the final third, the control and the decision-making in the final third in close, tight spaces, Anthony will be very much appreciated. But... I don't know if you caught much of Ronaldo's cameo appearance, but this guy, I don't know if it's the lack of preseason, but this guy, the age has finally caught up to this guy. There was an incident where the chase was on for the ball and Salisu just beat him so easily, so casually, whereas Ronaldo in the past is not losing that. And just not not just that, his decision-making, his passes, his touches were very much off the whole game, there was that one specific incident where it drew a lot of comparison, for, at least for me, to the one, I think it was Martial against Liverpool, where he nicked the ball off Henderson's bad touch and he slid the ball through for Mark Rashford to score the second goal. Very much identical situation with Rashford running in behind again. But I don't even know what kind of pass that was. He he passes the ball out wide to Rashford and he dashes in the middle. And of course, Rashford doesn't get to the ball. Could this have been his last game? Maybe. I don't. I don't question his profession professionalism. I don't think he was throwing the game on purpose, but he had a terrible 20, 25 minutes. I think he was playing, and for the likes of Rio Ferdinand to come out and say to watch that performance for Ronaldo and say, Ronaldo has to be the focal point of this team. I mean, were we watching the same game? Because nothing that he did in the game screamed to me that he should be the focal point in this game. Or, sorry, in the side. Do you feel like 
there's a way for Man United to kind of impose themselves on these type of games anymore? Like, how how do you anticipate or do you even see that happening for the side? I feel like they they didn't really they didn't really like fully control this game. I didn't feel confident that they were that they had this one under control. Well, I mean, it wasn't a great performance. I just think on top of that, there's there's a lack of presence up top. Rashford is not he it doesn't he doesn't cut it as a striker. But defensively, I know Southampton created a few chances and they created some havoc in the box, but I was never concerned where I was feeling that oh shit, we got away with that one. I mean there was that one save from David De Gea, but that's about it. I don't know if it's just Casemiro coming in. I mean, Casemiro did make some good defensive plays, but I never felt that the win was in danger, whereas in the previous games or weeks or even last season, I, I would have feared that we were going to concede a goal. So offensively, a lot of work to be done, but defensively, at least for now, we're definitely more solid and we're going to be more solid as Casemiro gets bedded into the team. I think Casemiro made three interceptions in 10 plus 6 minutes of stoppage time that was the second most in our, among the team i think that that just shows you how good of a game reader and a defensive minded player he is and yeah, that could unlock a lot of attacking opportunities for your more creative midfield players and even somebody like fred who can know not necessarily have that responsibility as much so he can now free up a little bit. Interesting to see how that develops. Looking at the following match here at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea hosted Leicester. It came out with a 2-1 victory after having played the majority of the game with 10 men. Another red card for them second week in a row. Is that a worry for Chelsea? I mean, I think the red card today was just... You don't expect that from a professional player. I mean, if you're on a yellow, you're not. I mean, that's a blatant yellow. And I know a lot of times players get away with it just because of the fact that they're on a yellow already. But that was just a no-brainer yellow card. It was just a stupid decision. Again, going back to last week, Koulibaly. Not a good decision to be sent off when your team is already down 3-0. But I mean... Overall, the performance-wise, it was an end-to-end game, I felt. You know, Chelsea, Tuchel, as soon as he makes the change, Raheem Sterling scores uh, to ease the pressure. I mean, considering that they played with 10 men for a 75% of the game, this, it, it, I think this is a deserved win for Chelsea. I think this is why I trust in Tuchel, because he, he can set up the team in, in different ways to... And he, he can analyze how the game is going. And that's why, that is the main reason why I have faith in the guy. And I think he showed that this game. All coming from a coach who wasn't even allowed on the sideline for the match. So good to see from his perspective and Chelsea's perspective that he's still able to, to get that going without having to be on the sideline for that. Sterling showing his worth 
with a brace that was able to win the game. What do you think about Sterling, not just his contribution in this game, but do you think that that's going to kind of show and kick on for future matches? For Chelsea's sake, it has to. I mean, he's probably the only or one of the few sources of of output, the output being goals. And with the way Havertz is playing right now, I mean, I, I have no doubt that Havertz will, will gain some form back. But I, I don't know. I just feel that you look at that team, the only reliable goal scorer is Sterling right now. Sterling, even himself, is a very well-known big chance misser. But he's the only one that you would trust to score double-digit goals because he's done that at City a few times. So it doesn't look like Chelsea are going to sign another striker. We'll see what happens in the next few days with, I think they're being linked with Aubameyang still. But we'll see. But Sterling, with all, all that money that's been paid for him, he's going to need to step up and actually deliver for Chelsea. Speaking of Raheem Sterling, we move on to one of his former clubs, Liverpool. They absolutely thrashed Bournemouth. Again, Bournemouth getting thrashed. Equaling the record for the most or the biggest defeat in Premier League history, 9-0. And to make it even more surprising, Salah, zero goal contributions in this match. What the hell? Bournemouth just look all over the place. I mean, they did play the three hardest teams, but nine? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't think we need to discuss much about this. I think a lot of people expect the Liverpool to thrash Bournemouth, but maybe not to this extent. Now, how do Bournemouth recover from this? Conceding nine, albeit against Liverpool, but nine? That's 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 a lot. That's a lot of goals to be conceding. I, I get it. It's away from home. Liverpool were obviously fired up for a lot of different reasons. But man, yeah, it's tough. And I, I feel for Bournemouth, but still, they're not showing anything against these big teams. And Aston Villa, looking at their form, it seems as though Aston Villa might be one of the teams that are worse than Bournemouth in the league, one of the few teams that are worse than Bournemouth in the league. So maybe not even that impressive of a win in the match week one. Does it say Bournemouth are getting relegated? No, I, I think that's... I think the quality is pretty low among that Bournemouth squad, even among the the newly promoted teams. We'll discuss Fulham and we'll discuss uh, Nottingham Forest later on, but they haven't made any signings to really strengthen their squad. The, their only big money signing, the centre-back, is I'm still yet to be convinced by him. I don't know. It's it's unfair, I guess, to judge him off of two games against 
the two of the biggest teams in, in the league. But yeah, I, I don't think they have the quality to stay up and they haven't shown much to prove otherwise. The only benefit of the doubt that I would probably give them is the quality of the opponent that they faced. But that win over Aston Villa is not looking that convincing anymore. Just looking at Villa's form. Well, let's see how it develops. If they continue like this, then it's going to be serious. But I don't think these were major tests. These last three matches, I think that that was just givens. But we see if they can pick it up. Hopefully, for their sake, they learn something. But I'm guessing that they're looking like one of the favorites to go down at this point. Moving on to a team that is on the opposite spectrum of the relegation zone, Manchester City with a very impressive comeback against Crystal Palace after having been 2-0 down. Erling Haaland with the goods. Wow. He is proving us wrong, to be honest. I mean, we were saying at the beginning that we don't think he's going to have that clutch factor impact. And that's exactly what he had against Crystal Palace. Hat trick to win the game and some breathing space too. Just, just proving it. Let's see if he can keep this up consistently. But I'm liking his link up play as well. I think he's using his body very well to hold up play. And his work rate defensively is impressing me as well. I got to give it to him. He's looking the all-round type right now. What do you think? I would wait a little more to make some judgments on his all-round play because just because we've had that game where he was only had eight touches. But, I mean, this game certainly impressive. When City were 2-0 down, I thought they had no chance. The way City were playing, the way Palace were playing. I think if Zaha was available, I think it's a different story. But take nothing away from what City done this weekend. This is the first time they've ever come back from a 2-0 deficit at halftime. And Holland, I mean, the first goal that he scored was an easy header. The second goal, impressive. But I think the third goal is, is what really stood out. I mean, to do that in a, in a game that's I wouldn't say thinly in the balance because at that point City had been pressing on Palace and Palace had not been able to provide answers. But that third goal, wow. I mean, this is what City have been lacking. I mean, maybe that is why City have never come back from a 2-0 deficit because they didn't have a striker like Holland. And yeah, you're right. Holland, his, he is clutch. And he's, he's certainly showing it. He scored last week against Newcastle as well. When they were down, it seems as though his power only goes up when they're down. But I feel like City can't continue doing this, though. We know how strong they are. We know how powered up, fired up they can be when they want to be. But, I mean, this is two weekends in a row where they're down by two goals. And they've come back. They fell short last weekend, but then this week they came back. But they need to start blowing teams away if they really want to cement their hold on the title. Their title race against Arsenal, you mean, right? No comment. No comment. 
Arsenal, speaking of them, the league leaders, we're keeping that up. Thanks to Gabriel with the save, making amends for himself. Boy, I was scared when he he was dilly-dallying on the ball for the first goal. When I saw Mitrovic bully him like that, I was like, ah, oh, boy. And I thought it was going to be one of those days. But I felt something inside of me that was like, Gabriel is going to make amends. And you know, the reason I thought that is because I know this guy's mentality. That right there is an elite mentality. Champion type of mentality that from Gabriel, honestly. A lot of other players would have held their head down and just had nothing to come back with. And so I really commend Gabriel's ability to respond to that mistake. How do you feel about Gabriel's redemption and how do you feel about the rest of the match, how it went for both sides? Yeah, I think it was... I mean, football has a funny way of writing its own story sometimes. I didn't necessarily feel that it was coming, but I'm not surprised that this happened, that Gabriel makes up for his own mistake. I think the first half was quite poor for both sides. I mean, Fulham didn't. I thought Arsenal did well to contain Fulham, but they also didn't do much on the other end in terms of creating chances and attacking Fulham. Second half got better. I think the early goal was key after going down 1-0. I don't know about you, but I could sense a little bit of tenseness within the fans, within the stadium. But I think the goal came only five minutes after they conceded. And that's huge. For them to come back, I know it was at home against the newly promoted side. I I was impressed that they were able to mount a comeback because judging from their performances... Now, I didn't get to watch uh, fully focus on this whole game. But from their performance in the first half, uh, I have to say I was impressed that they were able to make a comeback and beat Fulham 2-1. Well, I thought Fulham played a good game, actually. I felt Mitrovic was just bullying our defenders. His hold-up play was excellent. And he had a couple good chances as well, aerially. I mean, that is what got him the goal, that work rate, just bullying our defenders straight up. I rate how he was coming and dropping into the midfield pockets and being a focal point for his team. And I thought Fulham in general were very organized defensively. I thought Tim Ream, a couple clutch interventions. I just still feel like Arsenal can do a bit more to create and penetrate against these types of teams. I mean, Odegaard, although he had a couple great passes, he had a couple loose passes as well. And like in a row, trying to create. And we just need more efficiency on the creation side of things. I feel like Jesus is not getting enough real clear-cut chances. He had that one where there was a cutback from Xhaka, I think it was. And then he had one where he laid it off to Xhaka actually in the first half. But that's not even really a chance for him. And we can't be sitting here talking about how our number nine, our striker, is getting one major chance. And it's not even a major chance really. So I want to challenge Arsenal to be able to create more 
in matches like this, especially against a team like Fulham, who were organized and they defended well. I feel like we're going to come up against a lot more teams like that and a lot more teams are going to set up against us like that because they know that our plan is to be on the front foot. So that's the next challenge I have for Arsenal. And I don't want to put all the responsibility on Odegaard to create. I think it's a team effort. And although I respect how Saka, I think, got more involved in this game than the last one, I think that he could have done more with the the few chances that he got. But I don't want to be too hard on that in particular. But for Arsenal standards, we need to create a bit more. Yeah, I mean, I think... I don't know where... I don't know where the right balance is. I don't know whether it was... I mean, it was certainly better organization from Fulham than what Leicester provided uh, two weeks ago. But I don't know where to exactly draw the line where it was Fulham doing well to suppress Arsenal or Arsenal just not doing enough to create. I guess we'll have to see more games to be able to make that judgment. But I just... That's how I feel right now. I don't know where where to stand. Well, even based on that, looking at the past few games like the start of the season I didn't feel like we created that much in any of those games Crystal Palace not really especially in the second half you could say Leicester but even that not really those were kind of self-inflicted and then the Bournemouth game again struggled to create I felt Saka didn't really get involved we had a couple chances Odegaard just got those two chances and was efficient with them but still could have done could have done more to create. I feel like we need to be like chance creation should be something that's happening very, very often in a game when you're a team like Arsenal or any top team for that matter. Strikers are going to miss, you're gonna miss chances. So law of averages, try and set them up with more chances, are gonna be more likely to score. I don't like this concept of Strikers having to be clinical and judged off missing that one chance. I think that's natural. So I think you just got to provide more opportunities for them. And again, that lies on the whole team. That's just not necessarily Odegaard's responsibility as the calm or the creative figure in the team. I think this is a whole team effort. And that's why I keep saying that I'd rather someone a little more creative than Jaka in his role. Because as we see, Xhaka is getting forward a lot. And although he's doing well at what he's doing, I just think somebody with a little more attack-minded mentality and somebody who is more who has that more creative eye, I think would be more suitable and would help us to create more chances. Well, on that, it seems as though there's not going to be any more movements or any transfers whether it be ins maybe some outs for Arsenal I would slightly be worried if that was the case I don't know how you feel about that yeah definitely I mean missing party this weekend was a miss and we could see that so 
this is just the start of the season. Imagine as the season gets on, we're going to probably have more injuries. Parity especially is a very injury-prone player. So I think getting cover in that midfield and more variety of options of what we need in the game is needed. I ideally want Jacker coming in and being someone who helps us see out games and can be a sure, reliable player to put in when we have injuries. You know, it's like this weekend we have party out. We're bringing El Nenny in as the next option. I don't think it should be that. I'd rather El Nenny be like a second or third option backup and then Xhaka should be first coming in. That still keeps us at a solid level no matter how often or how long somebody like Party would be out for. It just gives us a lot more security and eradicates that worry for us. So I definitely agree with you. I think it's it would be a big worry if we don't bring anyone in. And I think that should be a priority right now. Get a CM. Moving on to our North London rivals in our final game of the weekend. Tottenham took on newly promoted Nottingham Forest. And I feel Nottingham Forest were actually very unlucky in this one. Or maybe again, as you say, this is just Tottenham's classic tactics of sit back, sit back, sit back. Well, Kante really, but I felt Nottingham Forest had a lot of shots on goal. They were they were really pressing Tottenham in, and unfortunately, that's kind of what hurt them was them pressing up so much that they got hit on the counter. A bit naive, but I do appreciate the positivity, and I felt that they were unlucky not to get more out of this one. Honestly, how do you feel? I mean, at what point does that positivity turn into naivety? I don't think Nottingham Forest did that much or as much for me to claim that they should have won the game. I mean, it was good to see them pressing them high up. But I mean, they just gave them so much space in behind. I think even starting in early second half, I mean... You you still have plenty of time. You, you, there's no need to rush things at, at that stage of the game. And especially when Tottenham weren't playing that great. You know, Tottenham, because Nottingham Forest enabled them to play such a way, I think if the front three were actually in top form, Tottenham could have gone away with a 4-0, 5-0 this game. It's just the fact that they were let down in the final third I don't know what the issue is, whether it's their form, whether it's the lack of confidence, whether they're tired. I don't know. But, I mean, all that space in behind that they afforded Tottenham. Tottenham really could have run away with it. But at the end, the Forest defenders lose a bit of focus. They leave Kane wide open. I couldn't believe that. I've never seen a striker be that wide open. In the opposition penalty box. That was crazy. But to kill the game off, Harry Kane, four goals in three games, three games in a row, scoring. As long as they continue winning, they probably won't care. But again, Tottenham, they weren't convincing again either this game. And they haven't been since the first game. I will say that I 
was impressed with how Richardson came on and affected the game. I felt that he added a lot of energy and he obviously got that decisive assist that pretty much secured the game for Tottenham. A guy who me and you both have been impressed with so far in his Tottenham career, Kulichewski. I thought he struggled a bit today for his normal standards. I felt I feel he's normally a big he normally has a big impact on Tottenham's play and attack. And I felt like today was a bit sloppy on his end. Can Tottenham keep this up against teams where they're sitting back and hitting them on the break? Or do you think that is eventually going to catch up to them? Well, common sense and logic would tell you that this is going to catch up to them. They can't keep this up the same way. I don't believe City can't keep going down 2-0 or by just two goals and come back to win 3-2, 4-2, whatever it is. They need to start imposing themselves. I mean, does it just rest on the fact that the Kane and Son, they need to just regain their form? Maybe. They're just, they're so powerful as a duo. And this game... Son, I felt he was a bit isolated. A lot of their attack was down the right-hand side, and I think that is why you felt that Kuluseski had a poor game for his standards because of the their attack being focused on the right-hand side and Emerson not really providing much help. Kuluseski was almost left alone to do everything a lot of the times. I don't think this can continue unless... Kane and Son can get far again to the level of last season where we know Kane scored close to 20 goals even after missing almost the full first half of the season. And Kane, uh, sorry, and Son, as we know, he won the golden boot. So pretty much nothing has changed from last season except they have some more depth. That's it. Yeah, Kane kind of pissing me off right now because he really looks like he's just scoring every week as usual. Who you have as the most likely for Golden Boot at the moment? Jesus, Holland, Kane, who you looking at? I think it's Holland, no brainer at the moment. And who is playing the best football at the moment? Uh, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> <laughs> you have to just say it. I mean, yeah, you're right. The the CERN Gabriel is playing the best football at the moment. No, I'm Overall. saying which team? Which team? That, I can't answer. Among you the know... three strikers, among the three strikers, I think Jesus is playing the best overall. You guys see how he's purposely not answering the question, though? You know it's Arsenal. Just say it's Arsenal. <laughs> it's well, Arsenal. Arsenal have the best record, so I would be foolish to say they aren't. 100% record. We're keeping it up, you hear me? All wins this season. That's what we're looking for. All wins. But that's about all we have time for today. Make sure you guys tune in Friday. We're going to have a little bit of a different type of episode because there's midweek matches. So we're going to do some 
some of the reviews of the matches as well as preview the weekend's fixtures as well. Make sure you guys tune in to those as well, midweek matches, and then tune back in for some football discussion. Don't forget to like our Facebook page. The link is in the description. Turn on the notifications and remember to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on, whether that's Apple, Spotify, press that download button. That will be it for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in as always. Thank you very much. And peace out.